Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. And just like that, we're back. Okay. I don't know why I still feel queasy, even though the tickling is so wholesome. <laughs> and Cameron's super tickly gang tickle fest looks really cute. He does have a really big smile on his face. He does yeah. And see, what's the harm? And the colourful tracksuits mm. really do give it an air of like adorability. Don't they? Don't they? Okay. So I want to tell you guys about the time that the Washington Post won a Pulitzer and then had to give it back two days later. Awkward. Okay, so this all happens in the early 80s. Um, a few years after Watergate, which was famously broken by two Washington Post reporters, Woodward okay. and Bernstein. Um, and that was one of the biggest scandals ever broken in the history of journalism. Um, very, very young children like Cassie may not know the whole story mm. of Watergate. No, not, not really, no, no. Are you serious? Like, yeah, never really engaged that I was... When At was it? When was it? Uh, kind of early 70s. Oh, Jesus, yeah, sure, like... We weren't born, so... Well, no, I know, but like, you might know ago. about, like, you know, what's the movie where, uh, you know... Nixon... Well, yes, yeah, it's Nixon and it's all about like, uh, well, it's actually incredibly convoluted, but basically like they were f recording, secretly recording political opponents, offices, bugging offices, like major shit went down. Well, that's how Nixon was impeached. And they made a movie of it with um, fucking Robert Redford. <laughs> oh my God, I could not. Remember, um, all the president's men, a few good men, all the president's men. Oh God, I have to check now. All the presidents. <sighs> Why are we yes. talking about Watergate? Sorry, because 
So Dustin Hoffman played Carl Bernstein and Robert Redford played Bob Woodward. And they were two fast-talking reporters in the 70s for the Washington Post. And they like broke the story that like ended up in, you know, Nixon's impeachment. And the reason I'm talking about it is because they, the same paper is at the centre of this scandal. How many years later? Six years later. Okay. Or so they're riding high. So they're riding high. Thank Nothing you. Nothing can I'm touch trying us. Trying to give context. It is an age where journalism is like at its kind of peak in terms of like being the voice of the people and having integrity. Nothing like now. <laughs> Basically, it's no. respected and people are employed <laughs> <laughs> and 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 compensated. Wow, compensated generously. Right. And yeah, so and also um, Woodward is still on the um, staff of the Washington Post when all this um, happened in the early 80s. He's like a managing editor now, so he's been kind of promoted. And so it's like 1980 and they make a hire, a new young hotshot reporter called Janet Cook. Is the name ringing any bells? Alarm bells? No. Okay, Bullshit Buffs will absolutely remember this story. Nice. Because I Janet Cook... Did there. <laughs> Just create a new hashtag. Oh, Bullshit Buff. <laughs> hashtag buff, Bullshit Buffs. Okay. I have a visual of someone buffing a shite though. <laughs> um, so Janet Cook basically has like a master's in fuckery. Oh, also, journalism students, ahem, Cassie, I believe would know this story because it's actually still taught in a lot of curriculum of journalism courses. So they cover this like nearly 40 years later, it's still taught as a kind of an example of ethics mm. and end issues around named sources and unnamed sources okay, and okay. integrity, Single imp- importance of facts. Right, I'm interested. I did study journalism. Oh, she's in. Oh, look, she's yeah. even put down the crocheting. <laughs> she didn't she's, do that for my she's story. She's deigned to join us in the room. She's back in the room. Okay, so look. I'm sorry, gonna... did you do that whole thing just there? No. I'm making a little owl for the big net for the top of the uh, innocent bottle of smoothies. Excuse me. Segway. Have they purchased sponsorship on the creep dive? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in the early 80s, Janet Cook was actually a dream fucking hire for the editors of The Post. So that was the then editor Vivian Alpin Brownlee and the managing editor Woodward of Woodward and Bernstein fame. Okay. So Janet Cook was a real find because she basically ticked two quotas for the post. She was black and she was a woman. Ah. Uh, ah. Uh, so they were only delighted creaming with themselves. Creaming themselves. Creaming themselves. She was also really fucking young. She was like 25. Another one. She was coming from a kind of a regional um, paper called the Toledo Blade. Very cool name <laughs> for <laughs> and, and, and like a town's like it's like the D four, whatever that newspaper is. What is that newspaper in Dublin? Anyway, what? So what I'm saying is, it's a regional paper with a cool name. <laughs> did it exist? Yes. Okay. It did exist. Now, Cook claimed that she had a degree from Vassar College and a master's degree from the University of Toledo and that she'd also received a journalism award while she was at the Toledo Blade. And she's very young. She's a woman and she's black. So they are very excited. So 
just as well, kind of important to point out, in their hiring of Cook, they most definitely had an agenda. Okay. So like in 1980, the population of Washington, D.C. was 70% black. Mm-hmm. And I would say wow. that they were definitely seeking to connect with that black readership. Of course. In a way that like a kind of a newsroom in the 80s, it'd be even more kind of white and elitist yeah. than they are today. And um, there also seems to be kind of a sense um, after Cook joined the staff that like there was some pressure on her to cover the kinds of stories that she, as a black woman, would appear to be uniquely placed to tell. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think they were basically like, go into the streets, get us the stories from the black people in the streets. Your and people. And bring them back to us and we'll help to, you know, translate were, them. Right. They were using her. For the white people. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's just a kind of, a, there's definitely more at play than just bold ambition. Hmm. for what came next okay so she'd been on staff for about six months when she landed a massive feature that was published on the 28th of September in 1980 and it was called Jimmy's World so this enormous feature by Cook was a profile about the life of a heroin addict I know you said heroin but I heard heron. I'm sorry. And my mind went elsewhere. <laughs> he Just loved herons. Fucking loved. An Just addict. An addict of the stately heron. I mean, they are beautiful they creatures. They are proud yeah. birds. My mind went, is this where Jimmy Eats World got I, their name? I, I also thought that. Mm. Are we wrong? <laughs> I can't. I can neither deny nor confirm the Jimmy Eats World connection. Mm-hmm. Herons are beautiful, but I did not mean to say heron. You've also really ruined my little reveal. Oh, but anyway, fuck you both. Oh, oh no, go on, go on, have your moment. So she wrote a profile, I'll start again, <laughs> of Jimmy. a heroin addict who was eight years old. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a weird reaction Like that's just not true <laughs> <laughs> Okay well, You're hired on the editorial board of the Washington Post It's kind of disappointing that the whole premise of this podcast That things are were not true Because it's a spoiler in itself Well yeah But, oh, but like oh, sometimes you can bury the yeah, lead like, And TJ. sometimes you can lead with it TJ yeah. Um Okay, this is sounding familiar. Okay. To me. Anyway, but go on. Well, I give you a couple of little snippets. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. I'm like really trying hard to remember it. No, I, you I really won't can't. because you were a minus person in 1980. As were we. <laughs> we were too, but she was especially. I think Cassie was yet to be born by about 12 years. In 1982. You were born in 1982. No, no, I wasn't born until 1990. Um, You're just going on about this all the time. Don't give her another... 2001 or so. Okay. Do you want to hear some little kind of little extracts from Jimmy's World? Okay, sorry. So it's her piece is called Jimmy's World. Yes. We're all supposed to believe he's eight. Yes. And nobody fucking checked. But there's an opioid epidemic in the States. Not in in 1980. No? 
End yeah. of 70s, early 80s, no? I mean, yeah, like drugs were massive, but like there was nothing like the epidemic that was to come. So, because I, I read a fair bit around this and it was, it definitely kind of like, it predated a lot of like widespread national knowledge of the drugs crisis. Anyway, um, so, quote, from Jimmy's world. Jimmy is eight years old and a third generation heroin addict. <laughs> Did you just picture heroin again? No. <laughs> <laughs> a family of heroin, heroin third, enthusiasts. Third generation addicts. Yeah. Fair, I mean, it's good. Yeah. yeah. A okay. precocious little boy with sandy hair, velvety brown eyes and needle marks freckling the baby smooth skin of his brown arms. Nonsense. <laughs> No, I'm gripped. Come on, keep going. He nestles in a large beige reclining chair in the living room of his comfortably furnished house in southeast Washington. Sorry, comfortably furnished house? Yeah. Right. Well, but third generation. Money in drugs, I guess. Okay. Well, sometimes. There is an almost cherubic expression on his small round face as he talks about life. Clothes, money, the Baltimore Orioles and heroin. He has been an addict since the age of five. There we go. Um, there we go. So. <laughs> like, I'm sure it happened somewhere. Maybe it's happened. It's okay. like that picture of the child who smokes in Korea. Is that true? Is I what? don't know. That's yeah, a future course. episode. It's, I mean. Unless we forget the chimpanzee that smoked. Well, that's it. I mean, who knows? What the fuck is going on? So yeah, okay. Sorry, back in the room. Jane, back in the we're room. with you. Okay. I'm going to call this episode "Back in the Room." You've said it so many sorry, times. Jimmy's is a world of hard drugs, spritz, fast money, and the good life. Called. Another back in the room, please. <laughs> Make it a double. <laughs> um, everyday junkies casually buy heroin from Ron, his mother's live-in lover, in the dining room of Jimmy's house. They cook it in the kitchen and fire up in the bedrooms. And every day, Ron or someone else fires up Jimmy, Jesus. plunging a needle into his bony arm, Jesus. sending the fourth grader into a hypnotic nod. I thought he had a roundy face. Roundy face and a skinny arm. Mm. God. Jimmy wants to sell drugs, maybe even on the district's meanest street, Condon Terrace, southeast, and someday deal heroin, he says, just like my man Ron. Ron, 27, and recently up from the south, was the one who first turned Jimmy on. Quote, he'd been bugging me all the time about what the shots were and what people was doing. And one day he said, can I get off? Ron says, leaning against a wall in a narcotic haze, his eyes half closed, yet piercing. (laughs) I said, God, this is horrific. Shit, you can have some now. I let him snort a little and damn, the little dude really did get off. Six months later, Jimmy was hooked. I felt like I was a part of what was going down, he says. I can't really tell you how it feel. You never done any? Sort of like them rides at King's Dominion, like if you was to go on all of them in one day. Jimmy's mother, Andrea, accepts her son's habit as a fact of life, although she will not inject the child herself and does not like to see others do it. I don't really like to see him fire up, she says. But, you know, I think he would have got into it one day anyway. Everybody does. When you live in the ghetto, it's all a matter of survival. If he wants to get away from it when he's older, then that's his thing. But right now, things are better for us than they've ever been. Okay. 
So this was published. Let's get back out of that room for a yeah. minute. God. I know. Like, ugh. So this was published and like shit exploded. Obviously. Find Jimmy. Get him out of there. Find Help Jimmy. Him. Help him. The piece was did the 80s equivalent of going viral. It was reprinted around the country and around the world. It was massive. Where was Jimmy? So, at the time, Marion Barry was mayor of DC. That's a man called Marion, just to be confusing. Um, he had his own um, little issues later. With herons, was it? Uh, well, he was smoking the herons. Oh, smoking with the herons. He possibly. was caught on video smoking just crack. Just rolling a full bird. And then he also... Was somehow re-elected into a mayoral office after that. America. <laughs> America. Um, so basically, the mayor, city health and police officials, like, immediately started trying to find the child, um, you know, with a view to prosecuting Obviously. his guardians. The Post stood fast behind its First Amendment rights to protect its reporter from having to reveal the boy's whereabouts. Well, that's oh. a little sketchy when it comes to a child surely yes and the paper was heavily criticized unsurprisingly by um you know black residents in washington dc um because come on like what they've done is taken the lowest common denominator in terms of the most vulnerable mm. and anyway yeah obviously they were criticized well, they've like they're blowing totally real pain that really exists yeah. in a community and they're blowing it up onto a kind of like a wide, a huge kind of blockbuster level. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very problematic. <laughs> and I think as well, like there must have been a real disconnect, I think, between Janet Cook's superiors and and herself. I think that the superiors well, they were like might looking at her and going, she's black. She must know what she's talking about with regards to this community. Even though she's from a very upper middle class black family in the suburbs. Okay. Uh, you so know what I mean? But like yeah. there's this kind of, all this of, kind of disconnect yeah. basically. And um, also the First Amendment rights like that says that journalists don't have to reveal their sources has had up until then been like utterly crucial in breaking massive stories that had huge political ramifications. Sure, who would ever come forward with anything? Well, again, was. Watergate yeah. was really hinged on an unnamed source and like took down a really corrupt political system. Well, took down so the president. There's two sides to it there. Now, obviously, a young child's life is potentially at stake. So it leaves an icky taste that the post wouldn't apparently wouldn't cough up. Okay. So the place basically like the city went bananas over this, clearly. And um hate to be your one at this point. Hate to be your one at yeah. this point. Oh like, my god. It. So Jimmy was never found. He then uh, city officials organized an all-out police search for the boy which was unsuccessful and then there did begin to be rumblings around the story being fraudulent. Um, and what then, had she revealed of, you know, so she wasn't under any kind of obligation to re reveal any more than she had written about them in this piece? Yeah, um, well, she had, um, say, notes, interview transcripts, 
and tapes, but she had no transcripts or tapes um, for the actual central interview, which was with Jimmy, Ron and Jimmy's mother. Well, surely that would come under her not disclosing her witnesses as well. Yeah, yeah. So she was allowed to say... Well, the post protected her. Okay. So, so as I said, city officials launched an all-out search. And then um, the mayor later crack smoking mayor um, responded to pu- responding to public pressure um, panicked lied and claimed that Jimmy was known to the city and receiving treatment what and then sometime later, later he just said Jimmy's dead what, what? <laughs> so the mayor did the mayor know Jane Janet Janet no not at all so why the fuck would he do this because the mayor looks bad for this going on in his city and it not being protected uh, yeah and he also was smoking crack. It so could have just been really high. I think initially when he launched the search, he was just like, I just want to know about Jimmy's connection. I just want to find this Ron guy. And then the other people were like, um, Mayor Barry, um, maybe some concern for the child's welfare. And he's like, that too, that too. And he probably doesn't want people digging into drug dealers. Okay. He doesn't want... like. It's within his interest to just pretend this whole story is going away. Well, in fairness, now this is speculation because I don't know when his drug use started. He it was definitely later that he was caught. So we just cover. Did our anybody asses get there. helped in the kind of mass search for this boy? Like, was were the lot of any of the poorest black residents of Washington D.C. improved in any way? Presumably, like, a few stones were overturned. Not. I don't maybe think so. other children might have been. You know, suspected to be him and maybe helped along the way, no? I don't think that really happened. I think it turned into a mass arse covering by a whole lot of white men. Right. You know, I think that um, a lot of damage was done actually instead to black people as a result of this. Um, I'll go on and we can come back to it. But basically, um, it just... It just painted this grotesque picture of black families yeah, as well, of course. Like, you know, um, perpetuated all and perpetuated all the feelings. kind of misconceptions yeah. that white middle class families in the early eighties probably had already. You know, I don't. Well, like that's sweeping, but you know, well, it doesn't look good for the post. It does not look good for the post, which is why what they did next is kind of baffling. So there was rumblings within the post. A few people kind of like airing doubts and misgivings about the story's veracity, even while the paper was actively publicly defending it. And that's when assistant managing editor Bob Woodward submitted the story for the Pulitzer Prize. Interest. At what point? Sorry. At what point did he submit it? Like, or, like during the madness? Yeah. During the rumblings that it might not be true? Yeah, amid rumblings that it might not be true, amid the mayor killing off a fictitious boy, <laughs> he said, might win the Pulitzer for this. And so, lo, they did win the Pulitzer for feature writing on 3rd of April, 1981. So roughly seven months after the story it appeared. What did they win it for? They won it for feature writing, journalism. So did she win it? Like it was, what's that Pulitzer? It means it was well, it was just a very important piece of journalism. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, I don't know who gets to keep the actual prize. Is that what you're asking? Do the Washington Post have it or just Janet Cook? Yeah. Um, No one has it anymore. Uh, (laughs) So so basically they won on April 13th, right? And so obviously 
big news and um, it was you know picked up by everyone it was um, a landmark win because she was the first black woman to win the Pulitzer she was very young she was at the start of her career she was you know kind of being mentored by uh, Bob Woodward who was a complete icon of American journalism so then her old editors at the Toledo Blade were very proud of their girl having gone off done good and they started to write up the story. Former Toledo Blade reporter wins Pulitzer. And they were um, fact-checking their report against their own uh, bio- biographical details that they would have had on her from a kind of a HR point of view. Okay. And that's when they noticed a few discrepancies oh, no. around Cook's supposed academic credentials. Oh. So they, the stories have been picked up by the Associated Press and stuff. So the Toledo But also, Blade, who cares? Are we talking about her faking a degree or something? Mm-hmm. Is that is that a big deal? I think fake a degree, fake a boy, fake right. a... Right, okay. I don't know. I just don't lie. To full st- usually don't. Especially oh. if you're a journalist. Big lies. Yeah, okay. If you're a journalist. It's all so key okay. <laughs> to being a journalist. I guess. But are so, you taking an oath or something? Well, you you kind of um. There's a code of ethics. Yeah, there's a code of bedrock. Bedrock. Uh, yeah, you have your like your list of ethics and a code of conduct that you do agree to, and that gives you that by agreeing and adhering to that code of conduct, you then um have, you can avail of certain protections within the law. So like not revealing your sources, but depends on if you're playing. It's definitely hairy. Look, this is a big story. If somebody won the Pulitzer and you, you were like, hang on a minute, though, they've just lied on their CV here. How that would big be of a news. poo that is would be in new. Janet's knickers right now? Absolutely breaking it, I'd say. The I actual mean, fucking stress. We've all done a bit of cheating on exams and tests in our time. We've all done a bit of spoofing in our first job. I, mean, I seem to remember claiming that I was well versed in AutoCAD. When I was an assistant production designer, what also briefly. What the fuck is that? Do you remember AutoCAD? Computer drawing? Oh, terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Back Thank in God the room. I doubt it exists anymore. What happened to her? So, um, so the Toledo Blade realized that, that she had definitely lied about her academic credentials. So, 14th of April, day after the Pulitzer has been announced, shit starts to go down. So... Sometime after three in the afternoon, Bradley and managing editor Howard Simmons over at the Washington Post received simultaneous phone calls. Uh, one is from an Associated Press editor. They're, all, they're obviously digging. And the other is an assistant to the president of Vassar who wanted to have a word with the editor, Bradley. So both callers were asking about Janet's CV. Mm. Okay. So this was damning. Okay. This was, on the one hand, a reporter sniffing around trying to find out exactly what Janet had been claiming and another, like a high-ranking academic from Vassar calling to obviously straighten things out and say this woman does not possess a master's degree or she's only ever attended Vassar for one year and she received a bachelor's, not a master's and, you know, Basically, there's a bit of spoofology going on there. Bradley is fucking pissed and he turns to some minion 
and says, take her to the woodshed. What the fuck does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means that for nearly 11 hours in various locations, offices, conference rooms, in a car. She was grilled. They were grilling Janet Cook. They were literally driving her around in a car around southeast Washington, D.C., looking, looking for Jimmy's house. So I mean, she didn't have to tell. You would be absolutely petrified. Uh, and she, she lasted 11 hours. Before she lasted 11 up. hours as she was alternately interrogated, cajoled, comforted, intimidated, flattered by... Not like, by the like police, four by men, the Washington Post. By the editors of the Washington Post. Four men, basically. Squeezing the truth out of her. Finally, and I think this is very... T- this is very telling the time of this finally at quarter to two in the morning god love her janet cook confessed there is no jimmy and no family it was a fabrication i want to give the prize back fuck janet because presumably your that was a well-written piece (sighs) so she was a good writer i mean at the very least she had a good imagination Well, stop. That's a genuine thing. Um, they don't give Pulitzers out for good imaginations. In fairness, <sighs> like... Um, What's that Melissa McCarthy movie that's out Gail now? Garcia Marquez, who's like a really famous writer, did say it's a shame that she was awarded the Pulitzer for journalism when she, you know, deserved a prize for fiction. Well, the, like what she's totally... But what, actually, I beg to differ because I've read Jimmy's World in its entirety and I think it's a terrible piece of writing as well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, it is, and it's it's so. Do they give the Pulitzer every year? Knowing that it's completely faked, it just then screams like cliche and and derivative. Do you know what I mean? Like all the black speak in it is so offensive once you realise all of it is invented. Okay, so by somebody who is not from this world. What became of her? Um, what became of her? I wanted to tell Jen whether the Pulitzer Prize is an annual award. Yeah, I feel like, you know, when you think about it, the Oscars It is annually year. awarded. It is annually like, awarded. That comes around quick. There's enormous the prestige in it. drops. And it's for journalism, literary achievements and music. And oh, drama. that's across a lot. Yeah, but there's only seven. Coldplay obviously didn't release an album that year. But there's, there's only seven awarded each year. So in those categories. Seven. That's a lot. Okay, all right. Well, why don't you go get your Pulitzer, Jen, and come back to us. <laughs> Pulitzer. Maybe I will. <laughs> and the Pulitzer for the Half-Baked Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You're just raging because you would have done Tickle better. But I got in there first. Oh, I, I really enjoyed yours. Okay, back in the room, kids. <laughs> We got to get, get out of the, the room. We've been talking for a really long Basically, time. Basically, Janet is 25. She's just claimed that she knew AutoCAD before she took on this job. And then she just shit her pants and didn't know what the hell else to do but lie. So basically, what happens was the next day, you so two days this. after Sorry. the Pulitzer was awarded, the paper uh, published a public apology. Woodward said at the time, I believed it. We published it. 
Official questions had been raised, but we stood by the story and her. Internal questions had been raised, but none about her other work. The reports were about the story not sounding right, being based on anonymous sources and primarily about purported lies about her personal life. Mm. Told by three reporters, two she had dated and one who felt in close competition with her. So compromised. I think the decision to nominate the story for a Pulitzer is of minimal consequence. Do you? Do you, Woodward? Because it seems like it brought a lot of attention into this massive fuck-up of yours. What, what anyway, I also think that it won. The fact that it won is of little consequence. Still disagreeing hard with you here. Well, I agree. A lot of them were getting out. It is a brilliant story. Fake and fraud that it is. It would be absurd for me or any other editor to review the authenticity or accuracy of stories that are nominated for prizes. All of that is baffling nonsense out of the mouth of a really, really respected American journalist. Well, he was fucking fascinating. Burned, obviously. Oh, yeah. Massively burned. And I also think he probably was like, I'm just going to have the quiet life in this nice role. And, then, and now this stupid, annoying young one's come and like wrecked my buzz. This should be a film. Is it a film? Oh, well. Mm-hmm. So um, in January of 1982, Cook appeared on the Phil Donahue show and basically gave her kind of main interview that she ever gave about it. She blamed the high pressure environment of the post. She yeah, said yeah, it had we corrupted her judgment. Sure. She said that she had done extensive interviews about Cassie's heading off. She's out. She just doesn't care anymore. <laughs> just, I'm still here. I'm in the room. This has been a very long episode. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm still with you. What's I'm, happening? I'm right here. Sorry. I'm nearly just... finished. Okay. So, geez, like. Come on. I'm, st- I'm with you. I'm salivating still. She'd done loads of interviews in the in the area because basically one of the editors had been like, go out and get us a story from the kind of underbelly of the poor black community. I'm sorry, okay, okay, I know you okay, can't okay, see okay, the okay. face I'm making on a podcast, but obviously it's it seems pretty gross. Like the motivation behind it all seems gross. Dispatching her to go get this story. Yeah, you can see where the, where the pressure she is. She said that sources had hinted to her about the existence of such a boy, but she was unable to find him. So eventually she created a story in order to satisfy her editors. But she could have created something under the radar, you know, sensational wise. Yeah, she just blew her load there, and she fucking smoked a heron. She smoked a heron is absolutely fucking terrible Boy timing. Smokes heron because everything post World War Two in terms of journalism had been kind of very crusading and very f- meaningful. Well, she felt that's what she, they like, wanted if you think from her. About where she that was coming that. from in World War Two, like propaganda basically steered the world into disaster. So after that, similar to what's happening now. Well, yeah, exactly. So, like, that's why, you know, free freedom of press became so essential in the intervening decades. And then basically she kind of slammed into the 80s with this kind of bullshit, um, which obviously kind of challenged whether or not journalists should be allowed to keep their unnamed sources protected. So anyway, um, if it, if that all kind of died down and Janet Cook completely fucking disappeared. Until 1996, when she gave an interview about the whole Jimmy's World affair to a former boyfriend of hers called Mike Sager, who had worked on the Post at the same time as her. He'd gone on to become a reasonably respected journalist. He did this interview and it was published in GQ. 
and it was um, very bleak, actually, um, as an interview. But the film rights uh, were sold to TriStar Pictures for 1.6 million. So they did get that money. Okay. Um, but the project has never moved past development stages. And, um, you know, Cook's life has just really like stalled and shit been pretty crap she basically told Sager what I did was wrong I regret that I did it I was guilty she was I did it and I'm sorry that 24? I did it yeah uh, yeah but like she's working in it I don't care she studied journalism in some capacity you'd know not to lie you don't make up things it's just it's the fundamentals of storytelling you don't make it up you don't publish something that's not true in a national paper and expect it to all be okay yeah um I read an update from Mike Seeger, um, who wrote another article about her called The Fabulous Who Changed Journalism, which is a pretty good article. And he, at the end of it, kind of comes clean at the end of this piece and says, I actually used to go out with Janet Cook. Mm. Um, I am nominally in touch with Cook now via email. I don't think I will betray her trust by reporting that she's still living within the borders of the United States, within a family setting, and pursuing a career that does not primarily involve writing. I've heard different things that she works in a department store. Um, she works, she's worked in suggesting that she's sort of dangerous in some way, which I don't think is true. Well, anyway, apparently uh, he says, I faithfully forward all requests for interviews. Uh, but Cook consistently declines to speak further of her role in the Pulitzer scandal. Oh, that's a shame. Clearly it has taken a toll. Yeah. She's written to him, what more is there for anyone to write? And then she added, he says, in her typical droll fashion, essentially, I've spent the last 30 years waiting to die. Fucking Knowing man. her as I do, says Sager, she was only half kidding. Like that's So dead. that is that's the end of the sad. saga. Yeah. I think that it's so crazy because in a way, if this had all taken place now in like our current 24 hour news cycle, she'd have recovered by Tuesday. Yeah, probably. In a weird way. Like sometimes I think that the level of kind of surveillance that we're all experiencing is so fucking toxic and how are we all going to stand it? But at the same time, people move on so fast now. I don't know, Jordan Woods is having a pretty bad week. <laughs> Who? Oh, I don't even know what's going on with that. I couldn't get involved. It's bad, it's going on for a couple of days. Um, yeah, I agree, but I think that the reason that people move past it now is because our standards for journalism are so much lower. Well, that's you would true. You expect a fake news story in that's your true. daily mix of stories. But you would... I'm glad that that was head, held on a... You know, held not up. that she was... Not that her life has been ruined because of it, but, you know, you, journalism in the late 70s, early 80s was a watchdog and mm. to brutalize it and to use it to, for essentially to get clicks, to get readers, to portray for a story, to try and, yeah. and become, to try and seem yeah. relevant with a target audience. I have no sympathy. I think as well, the real kind of point of contention and anger is that she has tarnished 
black people's reputation absolutely in a newsroom but hang on it was obviously believed and so well it's so well received and received the Pulitzer because she made that story credible for that community because of who she was and the pressure she was under during that time she was hired no you get yeah there's pressure but you don't put together a fictitious story that's damaging to a group of people to an already vulnerable group of people make it seem that this is because you can be guaranteed that they did not reach as many people with the fact checking and the corrections as they did with the initial story so there are probably people who still believe that that eight-year-old heroin addict existed that there was a black child being raised in a family Mm. that allowed them to do drugs because that's so normal in that community you know it was just it's too damaging yeah it's astoundingly insulting. There is actually um, a note at the top of Jimmy's World if you seek it out online now. The following article is not factually correct. But the fact and that the is article a fabrication is still there. by the author. I know, isn't it fascinating that it's still there? Um, it is still there. I Obviously think it's added to the internet in some at some point in the 90s or the noughties. Yeah, updated. So Keeping it with us. It obviously, it, it achieved something for the Washington Post at the detriment of that young journalist and at the detriment of a community. And I also, I just think as well, like I know you said it kind of joking earlier, but like I think there is kids in situations that are is harrowing and it's so distasteful to characterize that suffering in yeah. a piece like this. Like if you read it, it's, it really sickens well, me, like I, that I, she sat it, down. It was and still an act. A one, she didn't physically harm. Uh, look, okay, what she yeah. did did cause harm, but she's now. It, it sounds like it's ruined her life. Oh yeah, I would say, and, and I'm not no sure. Doubt that, yeah, there, there were editors putting her under pressure. Absolutely, and editors throwing her under the bus. Yeah, of after course. all, yeah. they're the editor too. You can imagine her having difficulty saying to her, "Look, I'm getting a bit of." Yeah. take back here I'm not finding what I need to find and them saying to her you better fucking find this the mm. reason that you're hired is because of this mm. you know the pressure must have been immense yeah oh my god how did she sleep at night anyway god love her and it's terrible thank you <laughs> thanks for listening uh, thanks guys it's for been war and peace and uh, hopefully we brought you through one day into the next with our four hour podcast <laughs> um, we've been with you we're touching points with people all week now I'd say that was so long <laughs> okay we just went on a long weekend it was long you. there now guys just a bank holiday what, weekend how long is this is it like really, breaking two hours it's a, we're fast approaching two hours like well, people we're only are, prolonging the agony follow us on Instagram at the creep dive Feel free to turn off at any point. <laughs> Again, let's keep people on the podcast. Okay. Maybe we'll shorten it down next time. Stick with us. B- bye. Next week. Or wait, should we be saying anything? No, yes. the shows we, are sold out. Just the live shows are sold out. I just want to remind everyone about Oyster Man. Okay, give Jen her juice. Oh yeah, because it's been two hours since you actually mentioned that. So people have probably <sighs> forgotten. Oyster Man, uh, live shows are sold out. Uh, do come if you bought your ticket. Please don't stand us up. And um, follow us on the Instagram Bye. Bye. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. 
For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.